0: Stories: The show where music, human performance, and life intersect, and I share through personal stories. My name is Benny Collins, and after two months, I am back in the chair, back behind the mic, happy to be putting out another episode for you all, and excited to share this guest and the conversation that I had with the guest. It was wonderful. For those that are new to the podcast and the show, unfamiliar with what we're all about or what we're doing here, this is the show where I invite a guest on to choose three different songs that have shaped their life in one way or another and to share the stories behind these songs and the meaning that they hold for them. Outside of this podcast, I work in the field of sport and performance psychology as a mental performance coach, which means that I support performers on uh, things like getting through any sort of mental obstacles, helping them highlight and optimize their strengths to help them fully realize their performance. And I like to work in kind of a, a wider spectrum than some mental performance coaches. So aside from just athletes, like your football, volleyball, softball, baseball type folks, I like getting to work with performing artists such as musicians and singers and executives from my experience in the business world. So I'm able to kind of tap into those different areas, which is really enjoyable for me and really gratifying. But To get into a thought or a performance nugget tip, interesting finding for this week, it actually relates to a nugget of wisdom that my guest shared during our conversation. And uh, it really goes like this. So generally in society, I think it's a pretty common consensus that there's a lot of pressure, a pretty constant pressure to be a certain way and to be compared or to compare ourselves to others or other people comparing us to other people. Um, and comparing our situation to other people's situations and their success, accomplishments, all those types of things. And that goes to whether we are in sports or we're not. It could be about work when it comes to getting paid, promotions. It also definitely plays a part in our personal lives when you think about dating, comparing ourselves to someone who may be a little more fit than us, or someone that we believe has more attractive qualities, whatever it may be. But when we compare ourselves to other people and what they're accomplishing, it's, it's kind of like shooting a basketball at a hoop that's steadily rolling away from us. It's like a moving target, and it's only getting harder. The bar is always moving, so it's incredibly challenging, and it's nearly impossible, or maybe is impossible, to fully accomplish and be exactly the same as, as another person. At the end of the day, our only job really is to just be ourselves and, and trust the idea that each of us might not be for everyone and be entirely comfortable with that. So for me, as a recovering people pleaser, sometimes it's, it's hard to accept that truth, but it truly is okay to not be like everyone in the room. And that's totally fine. There's, on, there's only one of you in the entire world, that, that, that's it. So choose you because you can't be anybody else. Choose yourself because you got more to offer than you realize, you're better than you think. So I'll leave that with you. But before I introduce this week's guest. I want to announce that I've been entered, or I have entered into an affiliated partnership with a great company called Mudwater. Some of you may have heard of them, but if not, Mudwater is a coffee alternative that has all the pros of coffee and virtually none of the cons, and has organic ingredients to improve mental and physical performance, mood swings, physical stamina, immunity, and overall health. You're probably thinking, okay, cool, Benny, what's the catch? What are they putting this stuff? What's the deal? It contains masala chai, cacao, a blend of four medicinal mushrooms, such as lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, and reishi, and other simple spices that you probably have in your kitchen right now, like cinnamon, turmeric, and Himalayan salt. I personally love coffee, always have. I've been a daily drinker for the longest time, but I honestly just got sick of the super high peaks that I often have felt from drinking coffee throughout the day. And then the crashes, you know, late afternoon, early evening, when I still had things I needed to get done. And without a doubt, Mudwater has been a really, really good change for me to my morning ritual. Outside of all that, this organization, they donate to MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies to support psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for those suffering from depression, PTSD, addiction, and suicidal ideation. And after doing a little bit of my own research on their company and on top of enjoying their product, it was honestly a no-brainer to reach out to them and team up. So if you'd like to give Mudwater a try, there's a link in the show notes of this episode that'll take you directly to the website where you can place an order. But now on to this week's guest, who I am very excited to introduce. This week, I am joined by my twin sister, Dr. Molly Collins. Molly is a mother, doula, childbirth educator, and assistant professor of African-American literature at Howard University. Her first book, Scrap Theory, Reproductive Injustice in the Contemporary Black Feminist Imagination Ohio State University Press will be published in 2023, whoop whoop. Her work intersects in the medical humanities, technology, bioethics, and contemporary Black art and culture and reproductive justice practices. She spends her free time sleeping, doing hit work workouts, and doing tarot readings. As you would probably guess, I had an absolute blast talking with Molly, as you all will find out very quickly in the beginning of the episode. This is a conversation that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. When I first conceived this podcast idea, months and months ago, I knew that I had to get her on to talk with her about music and hear the stories of the songs that she really connects to because those are definitely a part of her past. And one thing I've learned in this show is that I always learn more about a person than I really thought that I could learn about them as far as specific parts of their past. And thinking about that thought in comparison to Molly, my twin sister, these stories that she's sharing of her past are in some ways connected to me and are also my past, they're our past, and I find that to be very, very special. So I could just keep going on and on, on and on and on, but let's let's get to the goods, let's get to it. So without further ado, here's Molly.
1: I consent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> Hi, Molly. Welcome to the podcast that is, that is my.
1: Hi, Betty. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You have well, thanks a real, for having me. You have a great podcast host voice. How long have you been doing this for? Um
1: 20 seconds, but I get that a lot.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're you're a national. You're an exceptional. You're an exceptionalist. Is that a, a new term?
1: No, I think that works. I think you can make it up. Okay. Yeah, I think you can make it up. But I appreciate you inviting me to be on your program.
0: Thank you. My... And your podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank I'm you. I'm very proud tonight. of you. Oh, I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. I'm, I'm proud of you too. We're really cool. Thank
1: you. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, um, fish- okay. All right. Yeah. Um, tell, <laughs> tell us I knew I said hello. Um, I'll, I'll text you later and yeah, no, but thank you for being on the show. Welcome to welcome 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 it's nice to have Thank you here you. i've i definitely have wanted to invite you to be on this show for a while but i first wanted to get my sea legs by having some guests mm-hmm. and get get a good rhythm and so here okay. we are the rhythm is established the rhythm of the night
1: yeah so um, i wasn't your first choice
0: you know i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> tell it to you straight you weren't kid you weren't so i was like six <laughs> mm, you're number 10 <laughs> You, I'm nobody's ten. You barely made top <laughs> 10. Fuck you. <laughs> oh
1: Sounds God. about right, honestly.
0: Yeah, you know. It's...
1: I wouldn't be in your T-Mobile 5 or your 10
0: T-Mobile? I don't even you know what that to is. You need have three
1: lines.
0: <laughs> to you make even... me into <laughs> Yeah. It's like, it's like the difference between having TSA project and not, you just like barely snuck into coach. <laughs>
1: grow like, 35 with like the dogs yeah. and the cats and the, the kids that are screaming
0: yeah you're just sitting right <laughs> next to the can and you can hear everything through that little fin wall everything
1: oh sounds appropriate right and the airplane yeah. that is your life
0: yeah yeah that's the new edition of airplane mode the new iteration <laughs> um cool well let's let's get into this thing that we're going to do you sent me these three songs i listened to mm-hmm. all of them um one of them i was definitely very familiar with and the other two i wasn't as much but okay i'm excited
1: but did you like them
0: i did i mean i i love bone thugs and harmony they're great of course
1: they're my favorite yeah Yeah,
0: they are wonderful yeah um but let's let's get into always be my baby by mariah carey which i thought when you first sent it to me i was like huh Like there's always a couple of ideas that I have of why someone sends me a song. And part of me is like, Mm -hmm. is this, like, especially when it relates to the time that it came out because this song came out like early mid nineties, I'm going to guess. And so like, that's around the time when music became in our lives. And I feel like I can say that because we are twins. We have been around each other more than anybody. We know each other. Mm -hmm. So how did, I guess we'll start from the beginning. How did this make the list? Why this song?
1: Okay. Um, so I, you know, when I think about this song coming into my consciousness, it's not like, oh, it's one of those songs that I can remember listening to when we were young. Like, I, I really wrestled with what my intro song would be, because if I really want to think about tangible musical memories, it's like sitting in a laundry basket listening to Money by Pink Floyd. Or it's like sitting in the back of mom's car, listening to like Casey and JoJo, I wanna know, you know, something <laughs> like that. Or oh, right, no, that's not even Casey and JoJo, isn't it like some guy named Joey or something? I don't know. Mario's but, gonna listen to this and be like, embarrassed
0: us. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna get his fact checker out.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is. But it, yeah, so it was not like one of my first tangible musical memories, but I do remember hearing the song in elementary school, one, thinking that This is like just one of the most beautiful songs I had ever heard. And then also Mariah Carey was always someone who I thought was really beautiful. Like she was like an epitome of beauty to me. Mm -hmm. And she's also one of those people where I was like, oh, she's Black like me and she can't be pretty. And that so that was really important to me because I didn't think that I was pretty as a Black person or like as a Black child per se. And so, yeah, when I remember seeing the video or stills from the video. And if you go on my Instagram, like deeply into my Instagram, I just post stills from this video. Cause I still think it's like one of the best videos. She's like on the rope and shit. I mean, like, it's just so
0: cool. I never knew that. What part? Um, a fair amount of parts, but I'll, I'll start with one. <laughs> I'll start with one. I had no idea that you look up to looked up to her in that way.
1: Oh, yeah. And then now as an adult, I am a full blown Mariah Carey fanatic. Um, I'm obsessed with Mariah Carey. Like, I don't I don't really I don't really get it. I don't know why. But yeah, it's just she's been a big fixture in my life, I guess, as far as Liberty goes. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: For a lot of reasons that I could do a whole podcast on her. I actually thought about doing three Mariah Carey songs, but um,
0: I would have been for like, it.
1: You're like thank you for that um <laughs> but no really i mean besides that the song is amazing she wrote the song by doing like the like the did it um uh, did it like just the do's she yeah. came up with that in a bathroom and then Jermaine dupree just started playing the two uh the two notes on the piano
0: yeah those, and then they chords. wrote the song
1: in like 10 minutes and so great Yeah, and I just think it's like, it's a song that I've listened to through every like really hard thing in my life. Um, It's not an overly romantic song to me. I don't think about it in terms of like lovers or anything like that. But whenever I'm feeling like um, nostalgic or like I personally want to feel loved, I just watch the video. Mm -hmm. I used to just watch the video at night in my bed, like on YouTube once a night. Like, I just love the video
0: wow it's, it's like it's like your lullaby yeah. in a way
1: it is my lullaby yeah
0: and we have the same
1: sweet. initials mc for life <laughs> oh
0: my gosh what's what's her middle <laughs> MC name mc squared. <laughs> oh don't please <laughs> what's what's her middle name do you know
1: i don't know benny but it probably starts with a d <laughs>
0: it probably does god damn it <laughs> uh, yeah. that's wonderful because like i remember like when she burst on the scene she did have that that like essence of beauty and mystique about her. Like mm-hmm. there was like we had Britney, we had Christina, we had J Lo, and then like Mariah Carey, but it's just like, holy shit, like that's like Mariah Carey. She's kind of mm-hmm. her own her own category in a way. And so is J Lo, I would say. And for those mm-hmm. that are that are like diehard Britney fans or Christina fans out there, they're probably like, damn it, Benny, they need their own category too. But it's like hang on. It, it's, it's okay. But um no.
1: Yeah. I mean, Brian Curie also is one of those people for me that from an early age, like I mentioned with looks, gave me a type of grammar to be able to conceptualize my own mixed raceness and what it means to be um, seen as like more beautiful than dark-skinned Black women, but then Mm. still never be afforded a certain privilege that comes with the proximity to whiteness. So like I could always be close to looking white or just, I mean, like Mariah, like naturally has blonde hair, right? So I could have blonde hair, but it wouldn't actually change the way people treated me. And she was also one of the ways that I knew, like I became solidified in my own blackness because I remember being on the playground and I don't want to say their name, but but I'll tell you their name later, but someone we went to school with and they literally, I forget, we were talking about Mariah Carey and they're like, isn't she, this is when she got married to like, no this is when she got married to somebody white Mm -hmm. probably her first marriage and someone was like isn't she like black or isn't she white and isn't like so-and-so black or something like she had a boyfriend that was black and i was like actually mariah carey is black and she's like i knew she was ugly
0: oh my god like and that's like uh, that's the automatic like you put it in the equation machine black equals
1: Ugly. Yeah and also it was just that I felt like she was really in disbelief like she just legitimately thought she was white maybe right. or something like that and I remember like knowing from and this is like echoes something I forget I don't know if it was like Mary J. Blige or like the brat used to say like black people have always known that Mariah Carey is very black but like studio executives worked really hard to get her to be like look very white and to appeal to white audiences but right. she never really did. And she was always like a and she always identified as a black female artist. So yeah. Huge, huge MC fan. She calls her fans lambs. I'm definitely a lamb, bro.
0: The lambs. <laughs> Have you any wool?
1: Yes, sir, yes,
0: sir. Say no more. We're done. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Say no more. No. But I but I definitely understand what you're saying. Like just thinking back to what you mentioned on being being this mixed race child, not being black enough for, for, for wada, 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 like whatever you wanna finish that sentence with, but then not having the the niceties and privileges of being white too. So kind of like being stuck in that middle place. And like, I've, I've come across this, even when I was living in Baltimore once, I was going, I went to a barbershop to get my hair cut and it was like very much a black barbershop. i like, all right, well, it's kind of nice, it's kind of nice, something different. And I went in there, And there was probably like half a dozen black men in there. And there was, I think a a younger black woman, probably closer to our age. Um, But she was like looking at me and like the other guys were looking at me and like, like they looked at me and kind of scoffed and said like fucking (laughs) light-skinned. And he was like, okay, that's just
1: hilarious. But I agree, but I I know where this is going.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, it was hilarious. But they were literally grumpy that I was like walking in there as this light-skinned black man, as if I was like a threat to their dating life or anything like that like I was an, an oh, impedance an impedance for them to pursue this other woman that happened to be in the barber shop
1: oh so, okay sorry so I was reading this incorrectly but oh so it was like they noticed that she took an interest in you from the get-go and then they are making a comment okay I right. totally get that Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting, right? And Baltimore is a very specific place for that. Mm-hmm. My partner pointed out to me that he was like, do you think that there's a lot of conversation of colorism in Baltimore? Because most people in Baltimore are dark-skinned. And it literally never occurred to me because I'm not, I mean, I'm not getting into like colorblind politics, but I just, it's just something I never really thought about. Yeah. Um, but now that I live here more and more, like it just came up yesterday and I was in the fucking Verizon store. So like, yeah, that is really interesting. But yeah, I mean, but also I welcome all, any and all light-skinned jokes. Right. I think it's, yeah, My like my students make fun of me all the time, and <laughs> it's like, they send me the most hilarious memes about being light-skinned, about how all villains are light-skinned, um, or like, are you assigning so much work because you're light-skinned? <laughs> and I just think it's very funny because In a weird way, it's very welcoming because I spent so much of my life trying to testify to my own blackness, and so then when I get comments about like my very the variations within blackness, it feels like I'm accepted.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, I feel that too. It's like I still like there are identifiers and terms to to be put to my existence to make it relevant. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, <laughs> Professor Collins, is your cruelty born out of your light skinnedness? Is that why you're exciting so much work?
1: Yeah, no, that's literally, like, they'll say shit like that. So it's just really funny. But it's also taught, taught me a lot, right? Like, it's because, you know, like, we were raised in a white family, white community, a white world. And so I don't know about you, but like, I always say, like, I always knew I was super black, you know, because of that difference between the whiteness where we grew up, but it wasn't until I started hanging out with black people and dating black people that I was to- told that I was not black, right? Right. So my type of racial kind of crisis didn't really come until I spent more time with black people. Yeah. Cause I always knew who I was around black people. They were quick to let you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and for me, it came like, for me, it was probably my first or second year in college at jamestown which as you remember is an, a very it was like going to a second high school for me because it was incredibly small like where we grew up it also incredibly mm-hmm. white and the only non-white people were people that came there for sports typically i don't know if i knew yeah. of any non-white students that went to that school not for sports right um but but yeah like they they sure had to know how to let you know they will remind you
1: yeah and you know we and then you know the gender and sex comes into it like i feel like Uh, you know, you were a lot of, you were very rewarded for being a mixed person, um, you know, and like being a mixed male, whereas in popular culture, mixed women, you know, are seen like as like the highest form of beauty, obviously, which is very problematic, but like growing up, that was not it for me, right? Right. I mean, the amount of like ugly I was called, the constant teasing, the constant bullying about every facial feature I had are just things I feel like you didn't experience. And so you were rewarded for like parts of your blackness that I wasn't and so then when we became adults we had to like we almost switched right so it's like I was being rewarded for my what I looked like but then I had to prove myself in like my job and like school and stuff like that whereas when you right. were growing up you experienced institutional racism within school a lot but I didn't
0: mm-hmm. yeah and then and then if you tie to sports that's a part of it too yeah like they're just stoked that this kid could play some sports and like that was a reward. And then they're, they're willing to look beyond like the other qualities of my blackness that they didn't really want to tend to or think about
1: either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And whereas like, I didn't want to play sports and I wasn't funny. So they're like, we don't know what to do with you.
0: <laughs> See, that's bullshit because you were funny but you just kept to yourself because you didn't want to share your gift of humor with those people, which oh, I totally you're, understand.
1: You're so sweet. I, yeah, no, but I really didn't care. I I like really, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I mean, that's like one of the things I really do like about myself is like, I have always had a good gauge for who deserves to, who deserves my company. Right. And and who doesn't. And I I will, I'd rather die alone.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's (laughs) like a, that's a wisdom. That's a wisdom (laughs) that you had early on, because for me, I was I was just an attention whore. I just wanted to like hang out and make people laugh and goof off. And like, that was, Mm -hmm. it was probably like a defense mechanism, honestly, cause Well, yeah, you you were the way to disarm people against your blackness. Totally. Like that was, that was absolutely it. It's like, let me just make you laugh and giggle and like bat your eyes at me and then we can be cool. And then things will be Mm -hmm. fine. Then I don't have to worry about like what comments you might be saying behind my back, even though you probably still are, but I don't have to like be thinking about it explicitly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it comes with its own type of psychological wealth, warfare, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The paper pleaser definitely was established early for me. I
1: would say. Yeah. But I think that these are, and sorry if this is getting too deep, because I know we could go on about this forever, but also this sounds like we both had unique responses to neglect and a lack of attention. So mm-hmm. you, right, you're like, defense mechanism to not experiencing a lot of getting a lot of tension as a young person is to like, get it elsewhere and get it in copious amounts. Whereas like my defense mechanism was like, okay, well, I'm not worthy of attention. So I'm going to fold into myself and I will stay as small as possible. Yeah. And, and that, and and say, I don't want it anyway. Yeah. And then we both grow up to reproduce both of the situations, (laughs) and go into debt for therapy bill <laughs> hey oh <laughs> mental health where you at
0: it's my life, it's my life. <laughs> that's so true though and i and i never had thought about it from that perspective of of like we both had these different responses because i know and this is something we've talked about that we both had like different responses to the way that we grew up or we had different tendencies different behaviors but i think you're absolutely right like for me i just wanted all the attention for you you wanted to none you wanted to mm-hmm. re- retreat and stay away but for me it was just mm-hmm. like who like who can i put my 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 venom in to socialize with mm-hmm. like, who, like anything because like can you remember if you remember back to when we grew up i had like i feel like different little pods of friends that were very different i had like the, mm-hmm. video, the video game nerd kids i had the sporty kids it was just like all over the all over the place
1: so. Yeah. I mean, as an adult now, I'm this, I'm similar though. Like I compartmentalize my friends. Mm-hmm. Like my academic friends with PhDs do not talk to my other friends that I, I don't know. Right. I mean, like, yeah, really weird interests.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they which, don't which, mix. Which it makes like, I honestly think it kind of makes life fun. Like I, I enjoy having that huge spectrum and variety of friends because um shout out to all my friends out there so I don't get sick of you (laughs) (laughs) just kidding just kidding I love you all but it's just it's just nice to experience different people and different things Mm -hmm. for me it makes me feel very alive
1: yeah no that's really true and I get to explore different and like I get to explore different facets of myself right and then like the Mm -hmm. hope and I'm sure you'll agree with this is that then I have like three two to three people in my life who I get to fully and totally explore every aspect of myself with them which is like my partner I would say like you and then like my kids right right? who I don't have to fear rejection from any of those other things that I bring to the table you know which is really like the definition of love like you know to exist without fear of rejection Mm
0: -hmm. you know or judgment too
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah even though I'm sure Sanu and Cuba offer you a good amount of judgment here and there
1: Listen, I got called a stupid mommy the other day at Well,
0: I mean, first things first, were you being a stupid mommy?
1: <laughs> yeah. He said, if you make me go to bed without my toy, you're going to be a stupid mommy. And he like, pointed his finger at me. And then I said, well, I guess I'm a stupid mommy. He goes, you're not a stupid mommy. You're a poopy mommy. And I'm like, oh, we're going ooh,
0: up. <laughs> ooh, escalation. <laughs> Inflation in the house.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, my yeah. gosh. So, Mariah Mariah Carey. So let's let's talk about Mariah Carey um, with the podcast that we're on, with the show that we're talking about. After after you clicked with Mariah Carey, uh, or who's say,
1: Mariah Carey again.
0: What's oh, uh, wife of Jim, wife of Jim Carey, cousin of Drew Carey. Mariah, yeah. <laughs> but so after, because you and I got into music as far as like instruments and everything early on. Did your connection with this song or with Mariah Carey get you more interested in music?
1: Um, No, I mean, I don't think so. You have always been seeing music as like a creative outlet. Like you're the person who liked to play, like literally not just play the instrument, but play with instruments. And I was never that person. I really enjoyed going, like, you know, I'm sure you've mentioned on the podcast, we both play cello. So I liked going to, Uh, orchestra, and being part of something that became this really beautiful song. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like you were just there to pick up the basics so that afterwards you go fuck off in the practice room and write your little songs.
0: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) For little friends and literally skipping class, by the way, to do that. So.
0: (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) Um, Well, Molly, that's actually all the time we have tonight. We're going (laughs) to
1: this is why you didn't have me on like (laughs) tip of the iceberg folks, tip of the old iceberg, but yeah. But I, yeah, but you know, like I've always identified as a singer, but my, because my singing is one of my favorite things about me and it's a part, I don't think I'm a good singer and I don't sing for other people and I don't intend to, I like to sing for myself. I've always thought that like, this is like, because of what I do as like a cultural historian, but like in plantations, there's like literally roles that people played in escape and one of the roles that people played was like the people in the field they needed folks to who could sing the loudest right so the most people could hear them to Mm -hmm. like the code that they were singing I always think like I was one of those people I would just I just like singing to myself it's like a healing experience to me and I always felt and yeah I have a 10 octave range like Mariah Carey I'm just kidding (laughs) but um (laughs) <laughs> so no, but I like she's just one of those people I love to sing along with. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean, and to be yeah. fair, like her songs are very just incredibly catchy. Like there's, yeah. like I think her her Christmas song "All I Want for Christmas Is You." I think mm-hmm. that's like the most. I think it's by and large the most played Christmas song in the history of Christmas songs.
1: Yeah, like every single year, it hits number one again. Like yeah. no one's ever done that, and it's like for twenty years now. Yeah. Yeah, but I like her too, because shout out to her autobiography. Anybody that I talk to for longer than five minutes, I recommend this book to. I'm like teaching this class in a university class, or I'm teaching this book in a university class next year, because I think this is like one of the best autobiographies ever written. Mm. But she talks a lot about how she, like all of these songs that are very cute, like Always Be My Baby or All I Want for Christmas is You are catchy, but they're really like written out of really serious childhood trauma. Like she wrote um, All I Want For Christmas Is You like as a child when she was like 10 or 12 because her mom was never around at Christmas. And I like that, like she can turn these very catchy things from you know like a very dark place. I think that's what I, a lot of it, that's like the thrust of what I do with some of my work. And so I appreciate that with her as an artist.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think like you mentioned the word artist, I feel like that is it it's like etched into the fabric of a true artist is when they take like their life experiences and the hard things they've been through and then also the good things they've been through too, like all the the impactful moments of their life and turning it into something magical for consumption. And sometimes that's just like an art piece in a contemporary museum where you just look at the thing or it's a song where you listen to it and listen to it over and over and over and sing along to it or you play along to it. Mm -hmm. So just sharing the goodness.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just, I'm a huge, yeah, I just, I'm a huge Mariah Carey fan. Like I said, I could just talk about her forever.
0: Yeah, I, I can tell too. Let's, well, let's, let's keep moving on to the second song because there are two more and we should.
1: Uh, okay.
0: Okay. Um, let's talk about Dugu Badia by Amadou <laughs> and Miriam featuring mm-hmm. Santa Gold. Mm-hmm. and I was I was excited so I like I had mentioned before I'd never heard the song before but then I saw that Santa Gold was featured on it and I'm like oh yeah Molly really likes Santa Gold this is gonna be fun because I remember it was probably like maybe we were in high school when she kind of burst in the scene album in 2008 and then 99 Cents came out in 2016 and I remember really enjoying mm-hmm. that and both of us were like jamming on that pretty hard but how did this song make the list for you
1: yeah well okay so you said you listened to it right
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and like how thing catchy it is. I mean, it yeah. Is. Okay. So Fancy Gold is also kind of like one of those early black woman figures for me that I really like. Like she's very punk. Um, yes. She's from Philly. She's just like a weirdo. I really identified with that type yes. of, yeah, just who she was. Um, but so I came across this song actually when I was abroad. So I was undergrad studying in Morocco and I became very into Um, music from Mali so like Malian music and there's a husband and wife team Amadou and Miriam that are from Mali and they're both blind and they kind of have a certain cachet in like the music world like Watch the Throne um actually by Jay-Z and Kanye they sample a lot of their music on that um and then also yeah like you can see like on their tracks Amadou and Miriam's tracks like just like really like Sting is on all their tracks like they're just amazing so Amadou, the man, plays the electric guitar and then she plays the drums and she sings.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I came across this song because I used to listen to my home radio station in Minneapolis while I was in Morocco, like getting ready for class every day. And they would play this song at the same time, like every single day. And it's very much an anthem. And it very much, it, to me, it's like a very like going to war song. And I felt like that like the street harassment was really bad in Morocco so I had to get into a very particular psychological space before I went outside and wow. this was that, one of those songs for me and um, yeah just it's a, it's a great song and it's super catchy I also listened to it like when I was in labor both times and anytime I'm like running I don't run <laughs> this is about <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I mean, elliptical at best. <laughs> okay, but
0: <laughs> I don't know. You're lying to you because I didn't buy yeah. it.
1: Me <laughs> and cardio do not get along. Um, but <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it's just like a, it's just like a song. If I just need like a pick me up, or if I like am recovering from some, or recovering from like an argument or something, like this is a good come down song too.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like this song. So kind of next to "Always Be My Baby." They're both kind of therapeutic, but in very different ways.
1: Yeah, I would say. I mean, all songs are therapeutic. That's why I chose. Sorry, if you, if you just heard that. My alarm goes off in my house because they're dysfunctional.
0: That's that, okay. That's fine. <laughs>
1: We're paying the premium for over here.
0: Yeah. Um, but
1: but um, no, they are therapeutic. I mean, Do Goop Idea is like, I can do anything the type of I can do anything song. Always Be My Baby is like, if you you can try to do everything, but if you don't, if sometimes you don't wanna even try, that's okay too, mm. kind of song.
0: Yeah. So it kind yeah. gives of you, gives, gives you a little bit of leeway to rest and be be fine with what you have and believe that things are enough or sufficient.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm always down for anything with drums, like a heavy drum. Mm-hmm. A good electric guitar and just good instrumentals, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in it it the song is in Bambara, which is um like a pervasive language in the country of Mali. I don't know what any of these lyrics mean. I think that they're probably cool lyrics. <laughs> it's not my wheelhouse.
0: <laughs> yeah. One would one would guess yes.
1: <laughs> it's not what my PhD is in. <laughs> Hide behind that
0: <laughs> yeah surprise surprise <laughs> yeah.
1: so i don't have anything like i don't have anything intellectual say about the lyrics except for like i just feel like i connect with that that's on a very soul level for sure
0: yeah i'm mean, honestly like and people may may fight me on this i've never been huge in the lyrics and i think connecting with just the actual sounds of the instruments those that's what i think there's, there's a much stronger connection you can have there sometimes with, then compared to the words, I should say sometimes the lyrics like really do make a lot of sense, and it's like poetry. It's telling a story. You really connect with those. But there's something, something about really good sounding instruments when they're layered together and they're very complementary that literally gets you to move your body involuntarily, where it's completely mm-hmm. unexpected, and it's it's like yeah. cathartic. Like that's I, like the, like the rhythm section. I've always been a rhythm section person because that's mm-hmm. what like gets me moving in my soul and in my body.
1: So you didn't play drums in school because you're black.
0: What's that supposed to mean? No. I was
1: told that before. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah, and someone oh. we're related
0: to. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I haven't heard that one before. I'm not surprised though. I'm not surprised. You know
1: who I'm talking about? You I can totally guess.
0: I, I probably could. Yeah, yeah. we don't We don't yeah. have to go down that path.
1: I know we don't, but I- just...
0: It's cold, it's just cold there. <laughs> But, um, but, but no. I love that you kind of called out that you don't really know the lyrics to the song, but you connect with the instrumentals. And and I also mm-hmm. like that you brought up the psychological mindset that you get in after listening to the song because that's that's a huge part of like performance. So thinking about like my work in the sports psych world, I often bring up music to people to use it as a tool for building motivation and building confidence and just giving them using it as a generator for internal belief and minimizing self-doubt because that shit creeps in in every type of setting. I'm sure it creeps in for you when you're doing these interviews and you're in front of a bunch of students that are throwing some pretty stellar memes at you and <laughs> <laughs> light-skinned uh, verses at you. But um, but yeah, like I, I just love that that music has that power that can make us feel alive and make us feel like we can fly, make us feel like we can pick up a Mm -hmm. car and be superheroes
1: yeah I mean I like the I appreciate that you said that too because it just it also emphasizes for me the the differences that we have in the way we approach performance in general because Mm -hmm. you're talking about like minimizing self-doubt and using music to do that or as I would say I very much use music to acknowledge my Mm self-doubt and then and then I have power over it so yeah. like, for instance, like you said, like this example of like being in front of the classroom or like say I'm doing an interview or a lecture and I get like a gotcha question. Mm-hmm. I don't like find power within myself to perform something. Instead, I I, I don't know what the verb would be, but instead I acknowledge it. And usually like my, I say something like, oh, I just have to be vulnerable right now and say, I'm not quite sure. That's a great question. That's something I'll have to read about more. Yeah. Or like, that sounds really interesting. And I'm going to make a note of it so we can talk about it next time because I've never thought about that.
0: Yeah. yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a a viewpoint I appreciate too. And I've, and I've definitely been in that, in that spot. I think now that you say that, I think I, I've used music and used songs for both. So using it to kind of build me up, but also just be like, Oh, this is who I am. This is where I am. This is what you get.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, self-doubt or just any quote unquote negative emotion that could like impact your performance negatively is like really a point of curiosity rather than foreclosure, you know, yeah. which is what I'm sure you talk to people about.
0: And I do exploration, looking yeah. into it, peel back the layers. We're all, we're all a bunch of stinky onions at the end of the day.
1: Not me. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. What's something else that's cuter that's layered? How about a layer cake?
0: A layer cake is nice. I haven't had a layer cake in a long time.
1: I know. Yeah, I'm a layer cake.
0: Layer cake kind of gal.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am though.
0: I'm gonna get you a bumper sticker that says that. Layer cake kind of gal.
1: Good, cause I need one to put over this huge scratch I have.
0: <laughs> another one?
1: <laughs> oh, don't say another one. I literally have one i thought i was in drive i was in reverse
0: ladies and gentlemen prepare yourselves here comes the story it's it started with i thought i was in drive
1: i was like on a san francisco incline do you know what i'm saying like there was it was so hard to get my car out of this parking the
0: word the word you're looking for molly is steep but please continue
1: (laughs) i said what i said incline
0: You are inclined.
1: I have a very okay. <laughs> I have a very clean driving record, and I did not come up with. Okay,
0: all right. Okay, do not, okay. That's where I'm going to draw the line. About the <laughs> No, I do
1: have a clean driving record. I've never been, been in an accident.
0: You've been you? Yeah, you said you got in like a fender bender like a year ago. Yeah, but
1: something. I wasn't driving.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: Yeah, and also it was someone else's fault. So <laughs> okay. A fender bender is when someone runs into your ass, bro. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's, I think it's, it could be both. Yeah, maybe for you. Yeah, speaking from my own experience, I have done it. I've, I've so you're just going to
1: sit here and my truth meet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we can go around and around.
1: Yeah, we really could.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when, it, so going back to Duga Badia, when did you first, mm-hmm. did you first hear this song when you were in Morocco?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I was also heavily influenced by like, north african music at the time so it was super appropriate yeah yeah and like one of the most beautiful experiences of my life is like living in morocco and then you know they do call the prayer five times a day and call the prayer is like you know it's not a secular country so it's like you can hear it everywhere and anywhere so it's like you wake up and you know call the prayer is going and it's super beautiful and then at 10 10 a.m it happens again, but like people literally pull all their cars over to pray, stores stop. People like get up from their chairs at tables of restaurants. Like anything you're doing, the world stops. Like the train conductor stops the train Yeah. so people can pray. And it's like very musical, it's a very communal experience. And yeah, so that type of aesthetic really, yeah, it really impacted me and the way I think about music and art for sure as being a, a religious experience.
0: Yeah, yeah it's that, it, it very communal too. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause like for, I mean, for you and I, we, we grew up in a non-religious household. I'm not religious now, but I definitely do think of music as this, this power source that can bring people together for like mutual enjoyment. Yeah, like, no, definitely. Cause it's never like, oh, I'm rallying people to go listen to this song or to go see this band or this concert. Out of negative uh, motives, I would say, or to or to like evoke any sort of negative emotions. It's always for goodness, like it's just it's so pure in that way, which I love.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's pure. And if people don't vibe with the music, it can be one of the most awkward experiences, right? Because you which- and I would not like the same concerts,
0: right? Absolutely. I mean,
1: actually not, you know, not like categorically, but there's just a lot, I would say, yeah, Yeah. that you took me to, I'd be like, this is awkward and I don't (laughs) like this.
0: Yeah. 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 I can picture that. But, but that's also a fun part of life too. It's awkward moments.
1: Yeah. But I get those enough with you. I don't need to go in a space and watch a white (laughs) band to do it.
0: We don't don't have to pay money to have that awkwardness. We can just do it for free. Yeah.
1: Get some bad drinks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it's an amazing song. Yeah, I really re- recommend it to anybody. And just generally Amadou and Miriam and then obviously generally Santa Gold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Santa Gold, like, like you said in the beginning, you, you mentioned how she's a weirdo. And like, I remember, and you said punk too. And I definitely remembered remember her when she came on the scene. She was just different than a lot of black artists, black female artists at that time. I thought she was like, so maybe that, that's like the Aquarius in me that's like recognizing that or that you are recognizing in her, but she's just, she's just so different in such a fun way.
1: Yeah. Well, I always liked anybody who signified to me that there were different ways of being black. Yeah. And even as an adult, you know, I like, I still like people like that, but it is an Aquarian thing too. I always like the weirdos. I'm always going to like the odd ducks.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I like the underdogs.
0: Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tyrion Lannister said a quote about that one time. Who's that? Oh, you never watched Game of Thrones?
1: Why would you even say it like that? You know, I've never seen that goddamn
0: show. I don't I don't remember. <laughs> I thought you did because the, the entire world pretty much did.
1: See, I knew you were gonna I knew you're gonna do that. I knew
0: right.
1: it was gonna come out here and get shamed about Game of Thrones.
0: <laughs> That's why I brought you on here. It's just to just to slander you. <laughs>
1: And, but really though,
0: who is that person? Tyrion Lannister is, is a character in the show and he's a dwarf. And so his he's someone who's like really incredibly intellectually smart. He's incredibly smart. And for him, being an outcast in his family for who he is, like his father disowned him, called him not his son. He has issues with his siblings. His mother passed away while giving birth to him. And so everyone, like everyone has this air of resentment towards him. And for him, He he was always reminded that he was different, always reminded that he was the underdog. And so he manifested that when he grew into an adult and to try to give protection for those that are also underdogs. And there's a a character in the show who has a nasty fall, which the reasoning behind that we don't have to get into, don't have the time for it. It's a whole Mm -hmm. other podcast. The kid had a nasty fall. He was paralyzed from the waist down. And in Tyrion's eyes, this is another underdog because he's different. His body is out of the quote unquote norm. And he needs to be supported. And he had mm-hmm. said it, he had said it in the show how like he always had a soft spot for the underdog. I think is something close to that. But mm-hmm. but I I totally hear that. And I and I think I think that definitely shows up in your work too, which we would need more time to dig into that. But
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it also well for me, it really uh Ties into how I perceive myself uh, as like a professional and my professional persona and like how I built my professional confidence because it's like, okay, well, I spend my entire life being told like, you know, there's no one like you. Like, why can't you be like everyone else? If you were like everyone else, you would do X, you would think X, da, 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 da. And so, you know, then eventually, you know, that like tears at your self-esteem. But then eventually, you know, when I'm doing these things where I, and I work in like a really highly competitive field, then it's like, you know what? I literally have like pieces of paper on my wall that say like, there's no one like me. There's no, no one has the story I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really something that I I think really seriously about, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I'm never going to get this because there's 600 applicants, but I'm like, there are no 600 Molly's there's not even five. There's not even three. I
0: know. I feel like, I feel like I'm the closest and I have a beard. Okay, here we go. No, but I, to I, I totally hear what you're saying though I totally hear what you're saying yeah. and like like the why and I've received those questions too and I think I had told you a story about that how someone from years and years and years ago when we were growing up had, had said to me like why can't you be like the white kids or like why can't you be like the other like everybody else I think that was it was one of those two but okay. uh, but yeah like receiving that question as a 10 year old kid Absolutely sticks with you, and so I hear you when you're saying that there is like you have to, you have to, you're kind of required to believe that there is no one like you, and you always have to be an incredible cheerleader for yourself because sometimes, even if even if you're not like a person of color facing any sort of like discrimination, mm-hmm. like you just you just have to do that sometimes. Like you gotta you gotta pump up your own tires, but there's mm-hmm. just another, there's another layer to it. There's always there can be another layer to it if you are be made to feel different.
1: Yeah. And I think on a very outside of like the 3D reality and a very like cosmic spiritual level, my only job is to be myself,
0: right. like
1: period, is to move in my own integrity. And so when I look back on, say, actions or things that I did, and sometimes i be like, oh, why did I do that? And then I'll ask myself, I'm like, is that something that like I would do? And if the answer is like, no, I felt pressured to do that or I was a- I was acting out of fear, or I was acting out of jealousy, then, yeah, that's why it's cringey. Mm-hmm. But if I like move as myself, there's no regrets. <clears throat> yeah I don't and I don't care what it looked like to other people
0: yeah and then and also there's the acknowledgement of where you were in that time and space when you made that decision or, or carried out yeah. that behavior It's like you have, like for me is learning to give myself acceptance and grace when I do things that I might think were dumb like looking back on let's say three years ago I did something that I thought was stupid or I thought was really mm-hmm. dumb I would like mm-hmm. remember who I was at that time be like oh like, Cut him, some, cut him some slack. He was going through this at that time. He was having a hard time with this person. Like maybe things in his yeah. job were like kind of rough. So it's just like, he was he was in a tough spot. Of course he said something stupid. Of course he did something dumb. We're all human. we mm-hmm. we lash out and make dumb decisions when we're in a hard space. Like that's just normal.
1: Yeah. And I think that you and I, you know because of things we've been to are very good at surviving. And so whenever I do things in response to an injury, whether that's like an emotional or psychological injury or a physical injury, I do what I need to do to survive. So sometimes my responses make me cringe, but I'm like, you know what, you did that because that's what you needed to do. And so it's not, it's not even up for judgment. Yeah. It literally helped you get to where you are now. So that's that's I, yeah, I try to, yeah. Yeah. It's better to preserve judgment for the action that was done upon you, to be honest, not even a story, of the person, but like yeah. the injury itself.
0: Yeah. The, the act, like the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, as we, as we go, as we go marching, as these ants go marching, as Dave Matthews would say, um, I know, <laughs> do you remember that was, our, that was our first concert? You remember that?
1: Yeah, dude, and then mom bitched me out because I said, Prince would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> I think she verbatim said something. Where the fuck am I supposed to get Prince tickets? You're so ungrateful. <laughs> Looking back, though, I'm like, that is hey, hilarious.
0: That, that was, but, also,
1: oh. but also, like... But it's like, I mean, I get, I have kids now, right? So I know like, I relay to you the snarky things my kids say to me and you're like, oh, haha, that's hilarious. And in the moment I'm like, no, it was fucking rude as shit. So I know in the moment that was super rude as a parent, but looking back, I'm like, wow, what a funny kid. Yeah, (laughs) that
0: that was the ultimate clap back. And like- (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) And and like the fact that you had the wherewithal at that moment to compare Dave Matthews and his his (laughs) band (laughs) to Prince.
1: I'm going Dave Matthews didn't pop out of the van and be like, I know, right?
0: <laughs> I agree with what, what she said.
1: Yeah, listen to the girl. Yeah,
0: she's got a point, lady. <laughs> oh, so funny. But yeah, so the next song, third and final song, Look Into My Eyes by Bone yeah. Thugs and Harmony. So this. That's a good.
1: Speaking of survival, such a good jam. First of all, do you, so do you like play? Bits of the song for people on the podcast, but like so, when the you need
0: done with the cut. So I have been going back and forth. I for for legal reasons and copyright reasons, oh, I can't right, right. I can't play the full song like in silence more than three seconds because that's copyright infringement. I did hear that if I were to play the songs in the background while we're talking on low volume, that that's okay. But oh, cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm toying with the idea, the argument for to not. The argument not to do that is that I don't want this podcast to be about the songs, even though like music and, and the songs are very much a part of it. This is not about the song. This is about the stories that people have related to the songs, and I don't want them to be distractions and for people to check out.
1: Okay, I got it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a huge Bone Bugs fan. So I'm sorry. Can you say one more time which song I chose? Because I can't remember now.
0: Yes. Yes. You chose. Look Could into I my
1: look eyes. Look into my eyes. Okay. Yeah, it was either that or I was like the crossroad. I didn't know first of the month. I mean, okay. So this very much represents this. I think I've just recently started a new chapter in my life, but this is, this is the last chapter. Okay. So I would, I listened to this song. um, So I was started like my PhD when I was 22 at university of California, Irvine. And I met up with some, I went to visit and I met up with someone and she was driving me around. She was in my program. She was like a fellow student. And she had K-Day 93.5, very legendary um, radio station in Los Angeles on, and this song was playing. And, you know, like, as we've talked about, like I, I'm very sheltered from black culture and especially like gangster rap for sure, sure, right? As we were growing up. And so I hadn't heard of these people and I hadn't heard of the song. I knew I liked Tupac, cause I was just coming out of like living in Brooklyn and like this Tupac phase, but. Right. Yeah, I just heard these people and I really got into West Coast rap. So I'm like a huge West Coast rap person. To the point where, like, yeah, you know, my partner's really in the East Coast rap and he'll play songs and he'll be like, you don't know who so-and-so is. And I'm like, listen, bro, it's just not my wheelhouse. Right. Um, but yeah, Bone Thugs is just it for me. I don't even know what to say. So, you know, when you were talking or when I was talking about survival earlier, I think that this song represents the next iteration of my life where I was in survival. I think I'm out of survival mode. I think my new chapter is like um, enjoy like enjoyment. You know, I don't think I, I'm in survival mode anymore financially, emotionally, psychologically. But I felt, you know, like look into my what are the, what's the course is like look into my eyes and tell me what you really see. And like this it's a, this idea of being misread as a person, um, this person, it's like creating this scene where someone's standing over someone they're about to murder, right? And then they look into the person's eyes and they're like, do you think I'm a thug or not? Like, do you think I'm gonna do it or not? And I don't know, I think like we can theorize. I don't think it's my place to theorize about things that you do. Like we talk about trauma, right? a, a, a trauma a lot colloquially Mm-hmm. But like, those are very clinical terms, right? Or like when people are like, oh, you're a narcissist. Like that's a clinical term. Like we shouldn't be throwing those things around. right? Or like, oh, I have OCD. And I'm like, as someone with literally with OCD, I'm like, I am so sick of people just being like, I'm so OCD. I have to wash my hands all the time. I'm like, that's really not what it is
0: at all. Yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> casual. It's so it's so like, it's so diminishing of the experiences of those who actually have that like make their lives harder is because of those disorders or because of those conditions that they have. At least that, yeah. that's, that's how I see it. It's like, just yeah. It's very diminishing. It is like, I think it's insensitive, but go on.
1: And it's, it's contradictory that it comes at a time in history when mental health is becoming destigmatized.
0: Right. And like, honestly, a part of destigmatized in this instance right now, more like popularize. Cause I feel yeah, like no, yeah, it's that's popular. A point. It's popular to bring up the, the quote unquote trauma that you have. And, and that's, this is not me saying that I don't believe that people are experiencing trauma in the world, but I do think that the viewpoint that some people have on their quote-unquote trauma pales in comparison to like actual trauma that people have faced in their past as far as like neglect or sexual abuse or physical abuse mm-hmm. anything in that vein but yeah go on
1: yeah no I, yeah no i totally understand i'm like i literally te- you know like i teach like really like the african-american experience which is like really tragic sometimes yeah. and so you and so yeah this is your explicit warning that like i'll be mentioning the word rape but like we'll be reading slave narratives where people are detailing getting raped and then yeah, my students will be like, oh, this is really hard for me to read. Or like, I feel like I can't read that and I'm totally understandable. But then I also also have students who email me and say like, I'm really uncomfortable with discussing the term surveillance, and therefore I will not be writing paper about surveillance. And I'm like, that's inappropriate, right? Like, I'm sorry you're uncomfortable with it, but this is where violent, like you cannot hit me with trauma and violence. You need to at least engage with something conceptually. Mm-hmm. Um of course I have like lines, I'm never doing that with like sexual assault, but like they'll just like pick up these, they're starting to abuse it and weaponize and instrumentalize it. And like you said, it's just popular. Um, And yeah, so anyway, so part of that means that, yeah, we're starting to think about things like survival tactics or trauma as, you know, ways to survive. And as I just did in my own analysis two minutes ago, but (laughs) buggery, is a to me is a form of survival that can't be theorized because either you live it or you don't and it's what it means to I feel like constantly live with this idea that you can go back to having absolutely nothing and I live with that literally every day and so that's why I like west coast rap and that's why I like this song in particular is because like no matter what I look like or you know I get like these certain, you know, people, I don't know, whatever I signify with my degrees or my stature or my clothes. I'm like, no, I, I shat in a bucket. I grew up shitting in a Folgers can. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I used to pay for shit for my family, you know? Yeah. And like, I know what that's like. So yeah. And you're never gonna ever. And, and also I know how to make a way out of no way in a really deep way. Yes. Emotionally, um, financially, it's not being a hustler. It's not being motivated. It's to me, it's like, it's really what Tupac was saying when he said thug life, like you have no idea what that's actually like. So that's what I think of when I think of bone thugs and harmony.
0: Yeah. It's just like flat out survival, like adaptability and resilience. And, and like you said, like making your way out of no way, like that's something that I go back to is like being the most resourceful person I could possibly be. And like taking, nothing in like turning it turning it into something that's like helpful to my current situation and that applies in a lot yeah. of different areas like i i appreciate that quality a lot
1: mm-hmm. yeah no it's it's a it's something that is not it's only something that it, it's something that's learned where they say it's learned but it cannot be taught like my right. kids are never going to grow up with those type of edges for better or for worse
0: yeah yeah that's a good yeah. point
1: I no mean, idea what they're gonna write for their college personal statement. <laughs>
0: oh I mean I can't well, depending... said
1: doctorates I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. middle class.
0: <laughs> yeah de- de- depending on how their parents raise them they could turn out to be these these snooty little brats.
1: Yeah no for sure but I let like, I let them know you know and I try to like keep it real with them even though they're very young. Right. Yeah. So like in, so it's like with us I think we learned it in a very tragic way that again iterated into something that actually did traumatize me for instance going to a grocery store and then like having my mom's card declined and then leaving with no food. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like really traumatizing. That's like why my, hand, my heart rate goes up when I'm paying at the grocery store. And I, it's always going to be like that. Yeah. But I say things to my kids like, no, we can't get ice cream because we're not, that's, we can't afford that right now. And then my son will be like, what does that mean? And I'll be like, Oh, I have a budget and there's specific things that we buy. Right. And so I don't use like, I don't say like we're nigga, we, we broke. I say like there's a budget, right? There's intentionality, but that's just like I'm trying to teach money management, is my point.
0: Yeah, as a plan.
1: Because yeah, because then it's a point of I'm operating out of scarcity. It's not about what we have, it's what we choose to have.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Money management. That's that's one of those things I wish we would have gotten earlier. <laughs>
1: Dude, like I literally sit around with a notebook and think about how I'm going to teach my kids money management because I'm learning it now. I'm 30 years old Mm -hmm. because it's getting to the point where, it's. I mean, we actually, I feel like we're both like this. There comes a point and you don't have to make a lot, but you have to make enough money. Anytime you have expendable income, then it's like, oh, then you can't be fucking around anymore. Right. If you have enough money to save, you have enough money to manage.
0: Mm -hmm. So. yeah. It's true. It's really true. Yeah.
1: And at the same time, I'm a thug. So if anyone gets in the way of my money, (laughs) you're going to cut them. No, I really, I don't fuck with that. Like when people, I've I've been in really serious situations where people try to like, um, fuck with my professional name or they'll fuck me over professionally. Like you're dead to me and you'll hear from me later. Mm. It's it's just like a mentality I have because again, it's, I just want to do a disclaimer. I've never been in a physical fight. If you saw me, <laughs> if you saw me, um, a hard glance takes me down. <laughs> but I will say that I am very, yeah, I'm very strategic. Like people just don't mess with my ability to like provide for myself or my family. I'll say, and that's where like my thuggery kind of comes in. And I that goes to like my political ideologies. Like I don't drug, I don't, you know, I'm super pro sex work. I'm pro drug use. I'm pro obviously ethical drug use. Mm-hmm. pro drug trafficking you know all of these things because again it's about understanding people's responses to traumas which is like capitalism and is is an original originary trauma in the u.s and so i don't judge people's responses to that yeah and that's what they have to do to like make money and survive so right i'm doing the same thing we're all engaged in a type of sex work anyway
0: so. <laughs> to an extent yeah 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 but <sighs> That is hard.
1: Yeah, but we have bone thugs to help us figure it
0: out. We do, we do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad glad you chose something in the vein of West Coast rap.
1: Oh, I was super torn. I was like this, a deep Kendrick track. Yeah. Could have done that, Amy, like a, a palatable Tupac song.
0: Yeah, honestly like I was thinking of Changes, Changes by Tupac. That's that's really good that, that's a top 10 song for me of all time and it's not a song sure. I really I really jive with until like 67 years ago. Like it was I was beyond 20 years old. And I feel like usually when you have a song that like really hits you like that, you it gets to you, it comes in your life sooner. But yeah, it's legendary.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and he could like transform a hook. He had a really, and he had a good eye for people, like men singing his choruses and his hook that I thought was really good too.
0: Yeah, special, special. Mm-hmm. So when, do, so with looking in my eyes, when do you go back to the song? Like, is there, like, if you're feeling a particular mood or you have certain feelings that make you listen to the song or how does it show up for you?
1: um that's a really good question I wouldn't say it's particular feelings I think I listen to it a lot when I'm alone because it's very explicit and a lot of their musicality comes from like the sound of like gunshots and I don't want that to be around my kids very much
0: yeah me either actually (laughs) I don't don't want them to hear that
1: either (laughs) yeah um I listen to it a lot in my car and it's funny because I'll like blast that and then I always see like these older black men like turn and look and like see who's in the car and I'm like yes me bitch
0: (laughs) (laughs) this, this, this so gentle, like in
1: vitro glass <laughs> yeah
0: this nerd driving a hyundai yeah
1: exactly <laughs> you should have seen this guy who gave me the thumbs up when i was listening to krs1 the other day i just have like a really deep appreciate yeah i also like really connect with male voices which is probably about some deep-seated patriarchy but i don't know i just i really like i don't know i'm just really into like a very scruffy male rapper voice but so that goes back to like what your your question right about like when do I listen to this and it's like bone thugs has a variation of tonality like they have like lazy bones who just sounds crazy and they have like these deep tones like busy bone like super deep and I like it when to listen to it when I'm alone and when I can like be feel free to rap all parts
0: (laughs) yeah and I bet you really try to hit all the tones in those. No, you team. already know. So you're starting, starting with the high tones and then you drop into the low tones. Whatever they give me.
1: I'm putting trigger fingers up in the mirror. Gunshots are going
0: on. But it's, it's 9 p.m. with a face mask on a Friday night.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: That's funny. Well, you're eating yeah. gluten free brownies, I'm sure.
1: Okay, you need to call me out.
0: I know (laughs) they're almost
1: gone, in case you're wondering.
0: Yeah, you're taking a butter knife and scraping the edge of the pan.
1: I had to freeze half of them to control myself. (laughs) I just ended up eating them frozen. I don't know what happened.
0: But they're so good. They're so good frozen.
1: They're so everything I mean yeah listen molten or frozen i'll take it anyway i can get it (laughs)
0: molten what are you eating that's molten (laughs) well yeah but, but like what else like what else is molten
1: oh that's a good idea um nothing oh i guess i have i would describe molten honey so like when i make my kids tea a lot and i warm up the honey this is this is how much i love them
0: some snooty ass kids
1: I warm up the honey and I put herbs in it for my hippie (laughs) listeners. I put herbs in it to keep my babies healthy. (laughs) And so that is molten herb to honey.
0: (laughs) This is Dr. Molly Collins, where she's doing a seminar on how to upgrade your child's microbiome and gut health.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And their predilection for the fancier things of life. This reminds me after this, I'm going to send you a picture of them when they were having a tea party and they were taking notes on the types of tea they (laughs) like.
0: I find that to be incredibly adorable and very Yeah, sweet. one of
1: them is wearing a chef's hat. I'll just give you a little hint. <laughs>
0: yeah. And honestly, it could be either one. Could be either yeah. one. That's super yeah. cute. And for everyone out there, Molly's two children are four years old and two years old. So imagine those two creatures having a, a tea party. It's very cute. That
1: look oddly exactly like me and Benny in a very incestuous family dynamic.
0: I know. It's so bizarre. <laughs> It's so bizarre i don't like there are days where they look more like me than they do their own parents
1: i have showed people pictures of our children and they'll say i didn't know benny had kids and they will say this came from my uterus
0: bitch like
1: people <laughs> literally think that it, they're your kids and yeah. it's yeah it's actually alarming and they like yeah they just both look like you but i don't know if you remember at our, my baby shower for cuba <clears throat> my youngest kid um the caterer thought Benny was the dad.
0: Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Plate of few. Shout yeah. up, shout out Plate of few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's a little awkward when we go out together, but whatever.
0: I know. Yeah, like the couple times I would like either pick up Sanu from, from school from daycare or something, or like I would go on a walk with with you and him, and I'd be like pushing the shoulder or something. Oh, you guys yeah. are such a nice couple. Like, yeah, we oh. get that all the time. You guys are a
1: tall family. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, but technically, we're a family.
0: It's like, yeah, you're not wrong.
1: Yeah, because yeah, we look alike, but we look just enough apart. <laughs> right.
0: Like... Yeah. Yeah. Just enough. Okay. Well, we're we're kind of rounding out our time here. We're okay. Good. We're rounding. Great. You're sick of it. Okay. We're bye. done. All right. That's that's enough.
1: <laughs> I I said bye an hour ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even agree to be on this. What is this? Exactly. Um, but one thing I like to do at the end of every episode with my guests is just kind of pose something for them. Is there anything that you're currently excited about or anything you're currently working on or any words of wisdom that you want to share to the to the greater good of the, the people that are listening in?
1: Um, I mean, no, I have nothing smart to say to the masses, but I would say that I really appreciate this podcast and I appreciate what you are doing with it, because even though even what I've said and I feel like I've kind of trivialized music in the podcast or thinking about it, I was like, is music important to me? You know, like, I don't know if I describe myself as a music lover, but something that I re- remembered last night thinking about this was that I like wrung my hands thinking about what's the first song that my children would hear when they're born. And I I, it was very that. deliberate very deliberate about that Yeah, and I would like to maybe have more kids and I even now have running lists about what song they should hear first because I think that it's really important to like who they are going to be as people mm. right and so like I and I see the song that they both um the both that they both heard so for instance like with my son I chose a Stevie Wonder song for my daughter I, I picked this reggae song by Tooth and the Maytales but I was it happened so fast that I didn't get to put it on and so she was born to a bony Vera song, which is cool, but it's very much her personality. Whereas I wanted her to be born to reggae and I just feel like, I don't know. She's just like also a weirdo. So she it makes is. sense that which she's was born to a white guy. <laughs> 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 like in the, w- the woods. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, that's and that's where she and I, our similarities really crossover. Cause, Cause yeah, like and even beyond like our looks, like she and I look so much alike, but. I think that's amazing, and I think it also proves that you also believe in the idea, just as I do, and just as the impetus of this podcast is that music shapes who we are, whether we're big music people and, and just serial mm-hmm. listeners or creators of music or not. Like, memories, music holds memories, and music mm-hmm. defines chapters of our lives.
1: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, to be woo woo, like if music is literally vibration, that's all it is. It's different tonalities and vibration, and then our bodies, like cells, literally adjust to different vibrations. That's why you can walk in a room and be like, "The vibe is weird," or "Why is that guy mean to me?" Right? Why is he angry? Mm-hmm. You don't have to see their face to know they're angry. Then, like we literally are made up of music, which means music can literally, not just us psychologically, but it can change our bodies and our responses to the world. So. I do understand it's really important. And I didn't even get to the point where I, when I'm a doula that I talk to people about what they're gonna have on their birth playlist. Cause it's a huge part of giving yeah. birth. So we can talk about that sometime.
0: We, yeah, we totally should. We totally With should. Do's and
1: don'ts for your birth playlist, bitch.
0: <laughs> do's and don'ts from the doula.
1: <laughs> don't tire me.
0: <laughs> First don't, <laughs> I a new doula. Yeah.
1: Do listen to this podcast.
0: Don't listen to what I have to say. Do pay me. <laughs> Don't not give me your checking account information.
1: Oh my God, you're so funny. Uh, such
0: a joy. That's such a true joy. Such a joy. Well, thank okay. you so much, Molly.
1: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you and I'm very proud of everything you're doing and I hope this podcast gets lots of likes. Does that what happens these days?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna post it to my to my MySpace. That's what I was gonna say, yeah, Just
1: tweet it out.
0: Yeah, I'll put it into a tweet for you.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Thank you so much. I love you.
1: I have love a, you too. Have, have a, great a good day.
0: I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you.